check one two, check one two. I'm look like I'm, I'm probably way too loud. No, maybe not. Well, oh, you're not talking. That's not a John Manuel voice. <laughs> I, I was say, I'm turning myself down anyway. Um, that was good enough to me. Yeah, I'm going to turn think? mine down just a touch because okay. I seem to be already at J.J. Cooper voice. You are. That's okay, though. Okay, well, we'll go ahead with this podcast in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. So glad you're joining us again. Whether you're doing it at BaseballAmerica.com or via iTunes, I really appreciate the download. Remember, you can check us out on our Twitter feed. You can just follow us at twitter.com backslash baseballamerica. And if you have questions for us to use here on the podcast, send those into us. Podcast at baseballamerica.com is the email. We'll get to some of those later in the show, at least two. And, J.J., it's, it's, we, we took a little podcast hiatus here uh, after the draft, after the uh, college series, uh, all that kind of good stuff. Went a whole lot of people in the office for a week there. That was a, that was a big problem, and we had, a little, uh, we had some travel issues out with the uh, Futures game. With a four-hour rain delay, we weren't able to squeeze in a, uh, a podcast. Uh, that's what happens when one of us is in the dugout and one of us is behind, the stand, behind home plate in the stands with the scouts like Ben was, and one of us is up in the press box like uh, Jim Callis was. But a fun Futures game, a AAA All-Star game trip for me, uh, some vacation time. So we appreciate everyone being patient. But we've had a lot go on here on the magazine still in the last couple weeks as we kind of get into these dog days of summer. So we could talk a little bit about our midseason update, our top 25 uh, prospect midseason update. We'll go over that a little bit. We can still talk a little Futures game. And, uh, again, if you have questions about any of that stuff, you email those into us for next week's show. And pretty much from here on in, uh, a weekly podcast the rest of the summer, and we'll be focusing on the minor leagues, on prospects. Right, we'll we work a little major league come yep. when we get to September or October. But, yeah, it's going to be a, a very prospect-heavy, heavy, a very minor league. This is the time of year where we really – not that we don't focus on prospects year-round because we're right. Baseball America, this is what we do, but – the decks have largely been cleared. The draft's right, exactly. over. I mean, we'll have you know signing deadline craziness coming up you know next month or really three weeks away now. Yeah. Um, and we'll have you know three four weeks away, and then we'll have you know. But college baseball's done. We'll have summer all star you know summer top tens to right, do there that. Couple, there are a couple different podcasts I can think of that would not be just on the minors, but it would be the, the but, summer college all star. But uh, we're working on best tools right now yeah, to kind exactly. of give you a little preview of what's coming up. Not long after best tools, it turns around. You're doing league top twenties. Not yep. long after league top twenties, you start working on top top tens. You know, which turn into top thirties for the prospect handbook. So, the second half of the year is 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 what we call prospect season at Baseball America. And we're deadline, in prospect season. The deadline for the prospect handbook is four months away. That's, that's scary to think. It's <laughs> mind blowing a little bit. That's that is scary. But it, we do have a decent body of work for these players this year. And now we have a little finishing kick to watch. But it was a good time, I think, to do a midseason update, J.J., and to, where you can rank. There are a lot of guys graduated the major leagues. I do think uh, I like the fact, I just was thinking about this this morning, I'm feeling pretty good about us having ranked Tommy Hansen so high. Yeah, for, Tommy for Hansen, number three, looks looks pretty good right now. It does look pretty I good. Mean, I mean, I think if you're looking in the NL, you know, there wasn't, when he came up, the thing going for him was there wasn't anyone who'd really kind of run away with Rookie of the Year. Right. And with that being the case, he may still end up working into that. Especially if the Braves make a run, I don't think the Braves are necessarily equipped to make a run. I, I don't think have, so either. I think they have a chance only because the Phillies are bad on the but, mound. The Phillies are a very good team, but on the mound, the Phillies are pretty thin. And I do think the other reason the Braves have a chance is Tommy Hansen has, I think, has given well, them an injection of uh, some energy and some, some uh, well, he's just given them an ace pitcher that they really haven't had. And plus, they still might get Tim Hudson back. He pitched well the other day at uh, Myrtle Beach. and. If he comes back and helps them in the big leagues, well, they'll have the best pitching in the division. 
Right, but the the interesting discussion now for the Phillies is that there was a lot of talk. You know, okay, hey, they're the team out there that makes the most sense to be to do for a Halliday trade because right. they have enough pieces to make this trade, and they really have enough pieces to make this trade without really hurting the the you know their their current makeup of their team. Right, their major league team will remain pretty much intact. But they're you know uh, like yesterday I think at least there were nine games up in the loss column in the wow. East. That being said, it's almost like well. I know there were six and a half up. I, I said the same thing on a radio show yesterday. I don't see why the Phillies need to trade for Roy Halladay. I I think it would help. Uh, they'd have a better chance of going to the World Series and winning the World Series again. I think their chances of making the playoffs are already quite good. And really, in the National Who's, League, who uh, the Dodgers are better. Right. The Dodgers, the Dodgers are a team that... Well, yeah. I mean, but, but in the East, like if you're talking about... I, I don't see how Halladay is necessarily needed to make the playoffs. Correct. Now... If you want to win it, you make argument. You can make the argument that really you may need Halliday, but but you look in the East. Yeah, and that's a lot of that's a lot of easy wins. Yeah, the, the Marlins, as a one scout put it to me the other day, the Marlins will strike out if you let them. You know, all you, you don't have, it's not that hard. They're the, they're on pace for twelve hundred strikeouts. The, the Nationals are are chur- are churning towards Bryce Harper. The I Nationals mean, are forty games under five hundred. I watched their game last night against the Mets, and JJ, I'm gonna tell you. That was a brutal display of Major League Baseball because the Mets, um, and the Mets are fielding a Triple A team. Those now. teams combined for two hits after the third inning. All the score after the fourth inning, I should say. The Mets scored five runs in the first two innings. They got one hit the rest of the game. It was a solo homer by Frenchy in the ninth, um, or Logan Kensing. Let's put it this way: Tyler Clippard threw three perfect innings <laughs> and struck out five, and he was the focus of the post-game show for the Nats. <laughs> That's all that Ray Knight and Rob Dibble could talk about that was positive. I mean, I, I got I to gotta be honest with you. This is we're going off on a tangent here. This made me really think of Yankees fans last night. Uh, Tyler Clippard, remember the invective spewed at you? And later me, when you didn't that, have that Tyler was, Clippard was, in the top 20? The Florida State League top 20 that year forever will be known as the, 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 the Tyler Clippard chat. That will I'm trying to think of in the, in the interactive era of Baseball America, in the chat era, the players that have gotten the most, like where we've disagreed the most with readers that I can think of. For, from my experience, Tyler Clippard was one. Tim Battle was one. The Yankees fans could not handle that Tim Battle, who just got released earlier this year, uh, that, that Tim Battle wasn't a prospect. Oh, really? have you, has, there, has there been a player similar to Tyler Clippard? Ta- ta- I mean, <laughs> not my personal experience because yeah. that was the. Uh, I ended up having a chat that basically revolved around, well, you know, did did Tyler Clippard, you know, why is Tyler Clippard not in your top twenty? Well, you know, he was in that twenty to twenty five, but he wasn't number twenty one. You know, I, Carlos. It, was, it came down to Carlos Villanueva was the guy I didn't make. It was right. not exactly, you know. A, He's a he's a big leaguer, but not a blow you away. But he's right. been a solid reliever. I mean, that's yeah, a, he's been solid. I think I left him out of my top thirty that year for the Brewers. He was number thirty-one, and I wish I inserted him in there. But you know, but he was de- there was definitely. I mean, there was a lot of debate, like because of his strikeout rate. And the thing I'll say is, is that strikeout rate in the low minors, when you're talking about Class A, in my personal opinion, not that it's not important. But you have to then take that strikeout rate and go, okay, why is How he getting strikeouts? That? Correct. Now, you reach it's a not level. That simple, right. Right. I mean, Yusmero Petit was a guy who, you know, and Yusmero Petit was a guy who you couldn't help but write it. Like, every, I mean, I, you know, I did the Mets one year when Yusmero Petit was, you know, with the Mets. And it's mm-hmm. like, you could help but write it as, look, he is striking out an insane number of batters in A-ball. Yeah. However, 
His fact, there's nothing about him. There's no pitch that you say that's a 70 that he's getting strikeouts with. There's a lot of deception there. I don't even think he had a 60 pitch, did he? You know, I, I don't think no. And th- and so the the debate becomes, well, is that going to hold up when he gets to the high, you know, the high minors? Petit's actually another player that we've that there's been as much dis- disparate views of him as, as there has been anybody. Generally, those guys generally hit the high minors and start to slip because. You know, all of a sudden it's like, okay, the 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 swings and misses you're getting in in A ball don't happen in the higher, you know, in Double A, Triple A, especially, you know. And so what happens is is that well, then you have to have something to fall back on. Well, if you're getting it with deception, a lot of times there isn't that pitch, you know. Or if everything, or if everything's a breaking ball. I mean, low in the low minors, a guy who we, uh, I, I guess we missed on, but was like that was Sean Gallagher. I always remember was a guy that you know in the Midwest League put up dominant numbers. And one of the reasons was he threw a lot of breaking balls, uh, you know, and, and had a breaking ball he could, that you could use as a chase pitch. And that's a big reason why I think we've talked about this a lot. The, the higher up the ladder you go, the more stats matter. But like you just said, like in the low minors, in low class A especially, the stats matter, but they don't tell everything. And they don't even t- – you have to find out how that player produced those stats and not just what with, stats that they produced. And with Clipper, the, the scouting reports were fourth, fifth starter at best, Stuff's not that special, but he really knows how to pitch backwards, and that's really he's ahead of the hitters at this level. Right, and that seems to be at this point a, a pretty accurate scouting report. Yeah, and he topped out at 92 last night in this big league game, and I was out of the bullpen, and he was letting it all hang out, and he has deception in the delivery, all those now, things. Now to bring it into kind of back to yeah, uh, our midseason top 25. Good. To give you an example of a guy who's really hard to put a handle on. Who did not make the top 25, did not make the next 25, and realistically probably will not make the next 25 after that. And, you know, I mean, or the, probably the top 100 when the season's over. Travis Wood at Double A, yeah, has a 1.21 ERA this year. That's amazing. He's having as good a year if he keeps this up. I, I looked this up, and if he keeps this up, he's having one of the best years ERA wise of the you know of the decade at least. I mean, well, really. John Connolly kind of year. But the difference being that he's, he's doing it at double A. And the thing about it is is that, you know what, when you do that at double A, there's got to be a part of you going, okay, is this different? Because And he's left-handed. To me, you don't a fool, and, you know, you don't fool guys at double A the same way you do, you know, he's not he's at the right age for double A. He's a 22-year-old who's doing it double A. Now that being said, you look at the stuff, you look at the frame, because Travis Wood is, is not a, a big guy, and the stuff says, okay, what we were talking about with Tyler Clippard. He's a lefty, so maybe you say number three, number four, number five starter. Right. But the fastball is a high 80s, low 90s fastball. He's got a, Now, he does have, the thing he does have is, is he does have a plus to plus plus pitch, and now he has a changeup right. that's one of the best in the minors. And now he's added a cutter this year where he starts to become into discussion. But if you, know, if you went, not that stats aren't important because they are, sure. but if you went just on stats, there's no way Travis Wood's not a top 25 prospect. Agreed. When you throw in age appropriateness, what he's doing at double A, that being said, there's a reason he's not in our top 25. I mean, really it was his ex-teammate Zach Stewart who was a guy who was in yeah, the discussion for that, right? Not Travis Wood. A guy who's really uh, jumped up, I think, as much as anybody in the minors this year, especially as far as a guy who, uh, 
a guy who, from last year's draft, who's really made himself, I think, oh, from, a, he went, from a good prospect to a really interesting guy. I've had, we've had, we both had really good scouting reports on him this yeah, year. Yeah, I, I do think that, that Zach Stewart, when your season's over, I mean, he's going to be a top 100 guy. I think the bottom line is, and we talked about with Clipper, we talked about with Wood, and we'll talk about with our top 25. Uh, and I, I mean, I know I harp on this, but it's, uh, so much of it is about the fastball. Travis Wood, it's hard to imagine Travis Wood sitting 87, 88, maybe touching higher, but sitting 87, 88, being an impact guy in the major leagues. You have to be so good with everything else to be an impact guy at the major leagues when you're throwing 87, 88 miles an hour, even if you're left-handed. And the everything thing else is, has to be premium. You know what I've the command. And you know what gets thrown out is, hey, well, Tom Glavin did it. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is yes. Well, Tom Glavin did have 80 command. <laughs> but we, and we said this before. That's true. But what happens is, is you take Tom Glavin, take Greg Maddox, take Jamie Moyer, and it's like, okay, there's these three yeah. who've done it. But there's a, for every one of those, there's a hundred guys who get Bruce compared Tan. to them <laughs> who say, hey, this guy could do it, and it very rarely happens. Now, that's not saying... Then there, eventually, there will be another Tom Glavin. Right. And there might be a subset, I call it the Jeff Supon subset, of guys who are back-of-the-rotation stuff and are durable and throw enough strikes to get by and to be survivors and to be innings eaters. And not and, innings but, eaters, but, but, not, and, and, but and not, if everything falls guy. right, you know, I mean, <laughs> if everything falls right, you push in the National League right now. Right. Like, Jason Marquis. Jason Marquis has been an innings eater you know, better fastball than what we could, these other guys are talking about. But Jason Marquis has been an innings eater for years. You look at it this year, and all of a sudden, you know, he's been more than that. Right. At the same time, he's, a, I, he's yeah. talking, speaking of Jeff Supon, he's a guy who I could see if, if the Rockies, you know, which I don't think they're going to have any reason really at this no, point. They should, they're, the, they're the wild they're, card team. They're the right wild card now. team, so they're not going to trade them. But if they were not in that, and it's like, hey, and they ended up trading Marquis to an American League club. He's one of those guys you can just see kind of going to the American League Club, and it's like, wait a second, this is, you know, a whole different level. Yeah, no, there's uh, – so I, I think um, – and Marquis, like you said, I think he does have a little bit more fastball than most of these guys. But Supon is, to me, the ultimate guy, the ultimate ERA plus of 95 for his career kind of guy, if you're going at baseball reference. I mean, this guy's always right at or just below average, and actually um, giving him too much credit um, – He's, you know, he no, he is. He's a 99 guy for his career. That's, he's right at he's average. league average, and he is a 180 to 200 inning guy every year. And there's and there's no, value. He, there's a lot exactly. of value in that. That's the thing is, is that we're not denigrating. Like if tra- if Travis Wood ends up having a Jeff Supon career, that'd be great. He's a top hundred prospect. And most, of, and, and, I mean, that's, that, that's the thing to make clear. That's what I was about to say. I think he is a top hundred prospect because I do think he'll be average, a major league average guy, and. Most of a player's value is in being average I, at the that's major the league thing level. Is, is that we, but we, that's not what a top 25 is. We're trying to go we, impact. We, we, focus, that we, we want to point out when we're doing a thing like a top 25, we're talking about impact, but at the same time, being a big league regular yeah. is a very big thing. If you can do that... Being an average big leaguer is a great job by scouting a player development. And if you can be a big league regular, right? I mean, just that. Like, even if you're a below average big leaguer, the reality of it is is that, like, look at how many teams out there right now are in desperate need. Like, look at if the Royals had a (laughs) below average big league shortstop in their system. Yeah, that'd be great. They would have... They would be falling over themselves. They'd be trading Dave, Daniel Cortez and uh, somebody else. Derek Saito. Derek yeah. Saito. Oh, I love Derek Saito. Well, not really, but, but Cal but, Poly. But, represent. but, okay, 
but bringing it back to the top 25. Well, that's but the thing. I don't think a guy like we don't. I think most of our guys in our top 25 are high impact guys. And uh, no, there's not really. I mean, we are yes, we are going to go for in our top 25. There's no one in our top 25 who you do not, if you, for lack of a better term, if you dream on them. You know, you use a right. scout term. If you dream on them. They have a chance to be an impact big leaguer and above average big leaguer. Now we can tell you right now, not all of them will. I would say they the never lowest, have. I would say the lowest ceiling guy in the top twenty-five for me is Jason Castro mm-hmm. at nineteen. But to me, he has extra positional value. He's a catcher. He's a and he's a solid average to a tick above defender. And I believe in him because of the athletic ability and the savvy. And, the and he's a left-handed hitter. I think he's going to be a 270 hitter with 10 to 15 home runs. Which, I, and I, honestly, I think he's going to be better than Tony Sanchez, poor Hemplo, who was just the fourth overall pick in the draft. But to give you an example on that, he may be the lowest ceiling guy in our top 25. At the same time, you describe that. That's a guy who, as a catcher, if it if he has a good first three months, he's, he's an all star. I agree. No, I agree. No, you, you know, I one, one or two appearances in I, the game, but that's. I don't think he's a guy you build a franchise around. I don't think he's a three, four, five top hitter. I don't th- type of hitter. I don't think he's going to be an impact guy. I do think that Jason Catcher can be a starting big league catcher for five to ten years, and now, that's that's a lot of value. Now let's that's go to the other side. By the way, if you want to see our top twenty-five, just go to baseballamerica.com, our prospects page. You know, we and there's it's a subscriber-only link for the overall story. But you and can the go sidebar. to the blog post. Correct. There's also a blog post which give you the list if you're uh, not a subscriber. Now that being said. Our no, we have our number one prospect on here, but I'll, I think you'll agree with me. Our number one prospect is not the guy who, if everything falls right, would have the highest ceiling of anyone on this list. I think I agree with you. I think that there are a couple guys that have a higher ceiling. Like if Jesus Montero could actually be, uh, basically, could be Mike Piazza, if he could be a below-average catcher, but decent enough back there that it doesn't kill you, and then he's going to hit, the way we think he's going to hit, then he has a higher ceiling. What? I think Mike Stanton has a higher ceiling. I, I think Mike Stanton could, you know, could be the guy who we're talking about. Just like, yeah, wow. I mean, still kill, kicking myself for not ranking him higher in my personal top fifty. But Montero, <laughs> the, the thing that jumped out to me, Montero, Montero got promoted to Double A. He's walking almost as much as he's striking out right. in Double A at you know, as a nineteen-year-old catching. He and, is a huge human being, though. I got to tell you, that's the that's the thing that stood out the most about seeing him. In the last two futures games, he's just big. I mean, he's he's just big boned. He's uh, the, just a big kid. Catching wise, the best way I can explain it, catching wise, is is like you think back of it now. It's like Carlos Delgado was a catcher. Yeah, exactly. And the talk he's all the way big. through the minors was, well, with Carlos Delgado, man, if he could stay a catcher. But at the same time, you anyone you talk to yeah, would be like, no, he's not staying catcher. That's really probably a pretty good description of Jesus Montero. Is that yeah, he's catching, and but at the same time, if you, unless you just want to live with, a, you know, less than you expect right. behind the plate, at some point there comes the question of why would you keep him back there? I, I'm not a guy who's a fan of moving guys off of it just because, hey, well, we got a spot here at first right. base, so let's, you know, ruin his long-term ability to play, you know, catcher or third base to, right. to move him. That being said, the bat's going to be ready 
a long ways before the the glove is, yeah. and we don't even know the glove ever will be. I think, the, I think the Yankees have clearly indicated they don't think the glove will be. They have Austin Romine, they dropped the Kyle Higashioka, they dropped the J.R. Murphy. They've, they've signed a lot of catchers the last few years. They just signed the Sanchez kid internationally for three million dollars. So we've gone a little long on the podcast already. So we're, so we're going to. I want to go one other spot yeah. before we go to the. Yeah, let's wrap this up because we we had an interesting discussion in the office about this. The guy who I think there was kind of a lot of debate about. Number five, Madison Bumgarner. You, John, is the uh, worship at the altar of fastball command. Yes. You know, my concern, I have a little bit more concern with Bumgarner, that being because, not that I don't think he's going to be good, but because the concern I have is, is that, well, are the secondary pitches, you know, are they 35-40s or are they 45 50s, because if he's got even right. 50s... Sounds like it depends on the day. Yeah. Honestly, it sounds like it depends on the day. And when he's good, his his slider is a 45-50. I don't think his changeup... I think his changeup is more in that 30-40 to 40 range. I think his slider is fringe average, and there are days where it's, where it's pretty good. It's never going to be a Steve Carlton plus right. two-plane slider because of the arm slot. It's just never going to be. But uh, to me, uh, again, well, like you said, I mean, I, I think... I mean, he can live and die by the fastball alone. I think he can dominate on the fastball pretty much alone. I think if you command your fastball, throw it with velocity, and throw it with life, all of which he does, everything else plays up, and all of a sudden that slider, that might be a 45, plays way above that. So that's that's where I come from on Bumgarner. And he is still succeeding quite well at double-A. The ERA is still under two in about 60 innings at Connecticut. And no, the success is, I mean, he's been, he's been the best pitcher in the minors for the last two years. I mean, yep. there's just no... Yeah, you know, there's no doubt. There's no real question on that. I mean, that he's been a, a, a notch above anyone else as far right. as consistent success. My concern is is that you know we talk about profile. Where's the ceiling? Yeah. And my my concern is is like we and we talked about this. It's like okay, who can you think of out there who at the big league level as a starter dominated like was an elite level you know right. starter with out a second pitch that you go, that's a major league average pitch. Like that's hard. To, it's hard to think of somebody. That's for sure. You know, I mean, you think can of think of guys who had that profile who ended up being dominant. You know, closers. But it's hard to think of a guy, at least for me, that I can think of who you say, okay, well, he dominated off the fastball, and really, you know, his second pitch he used. I mean, he was he was eighty percent fastballs, and right. he threw everything else to just to show me. Most of the guys you can think of who do that are guys like a Kurt Schilling or a late career Roger Clemens, where the second pitch was a split. Right, but that's, that's to me that split like right, that's if, if Bumgarner had a split, I'd be talking about I wouldn't be talking entirely differently because that split, split is a second pitch. I would say even then the split was generally for those guys an average to plus pitch. So I have faith that his slider will be an average pitch and give him a second average pitch. But I also have faith that I think it is a little bit different for a left-hander. Uh, I think you can. I mean, Cliff Lee threw his fastball 77 percent of the time last year, and won the Cy Young Award with it. I think that Madison Bumgarner's fastball is better than Cliff Lee's fastball. Uh, that's that's the comparison I guess I should make. I think it's going to be a lot like Cliff Lee. Is he going to go 22 and three? No, we all know that was luck. Right. But Cliff Lee has the last two years. The record's not near what it was last year, but he's been a very consistent, above-average starter again this year. He's just on an awful team. So. Uh, last year he had a lot of luck and a lot of uh, you know a lot of runs scored for him. This year it hasn't happened that way. But we have a couple. I, I, we do have different views on on Bumgarner. That's for sure. And it'll be fun to see uh, how, that, how that goes out for sure. We have a couple of emails into the podcast at baseballamerica.com uh, email address. First, got to go of course with uh, with Joe Joe Lacates who always uh, always emails hey, us. 
Joe says, uh, great job on the top 25. He was wondering how close Brett Lowry was to getting an honorable mention. Uh, Brett Lowry did not make, I don't think, our 26 to 50. Uh, I think he just missed. Um, I, very I think close. He's, I think he's very close. I think we, a big question is uh, really digging in with some of the scouts in the Midwest League and finding out how his defense is. Right. Is this guy going to be Dan Ugla? Is he gonna be, I think he's actually going to be a little bit better than Dan Ugla, a better defender. Uh, that's not saying much in some ways, but I think he, I think he has a chance to be an average second baseman. And boy, if he's that, there, he has all kinds of value is, as a middle infielder. There's a lot of athleticism there. I mean, that's, yeah, no that's what we're you know. I know people think of catcher and go, but this is a guy who's I, who's a, a pretty premium athlete. Yeah. And so I don't think long term there you know unless he doesn't work at it, there shouldn't be a whole lot of you know I, I, yeah. And we need to. That's that's going to be. Our midseason top twenty-five. We bounce this off of multiple scouts. We yeah, talked to four or five guys myself. Just and, and I, I talked to several other, guys, you know, yeah. and 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 other people did too. And we you know it's also assembling what we've kind of been gathering through the year. Right. That being said, there are a couple guys we had snapshot. more information than others. Yeah. This is a snapshot where when you talk about our top hundred, when we're doing our top hundred in the off season, everyone in that top hundred. We have kind of bared down on as far as we okay. Here's the scouting report on defense. Here's the scouting report on yeah. you know all, all aspects of them. Right now at the midseason, we're we have less information than we will at the end of the season Correct. because we you know, we're getting ready to do best tools. We're getting right. ready to do league top twenties. You know where we'll have more information on Brett Lowry. I I would not be shocked actually at the end of the season. You know going into next season that you may find Brett Lowry higher. Yeah. Than number fifty on that list because yeah, absolutely. the bat special and you know the defense. I mean, there's a lot of questions about it, but there are some decent chances he actually could end up being a you know right. Yeah, there's a, I think there's a more than a decent chance that he's going to stay at second base. Uh, thoughts on Pedro Alvarez uh, right now, um, and then uh, August 18th is Strasburg become number one. Uh, I think Strasburg would become my number one. As much as I love Jason Hayward and Mike Stanton, I think I would put uh, Strasburg number one. As far as Pedro Alvarez, uh, I have some significant questions. Uh, the strikeout rate's alarming. You know, uh, the body's alarming. Uh, will he stay at third base? That seems to be less likely. He almost seems like he's almost at the Brett Wallace category. Well, yeah, he might stay at third base, but it'll be short term and he won't be good at it. And that was a big reason why I thought Pedro Alvarez was a better prospect coming into the 2008 draft than a guy like Justin Smoke. But now I've definitely flipped on that. And uh, the main reason is not even the bat. It's the defensive value. I always thought that Alvarez had – and the thing is, I thought Alvarez was more of a field-to-hit guy than Smoke. He has not shown that in pro ball. So there's a couple of big question marks for me, and he has lost value in, in, in my estimation. I was not nearly as high on him as, say, like I know Jim Callis had Alvarez, I think, three in his preseason top, personal top 50 – I think I had Pedro 9 or 11 or somewhere in that range. So I clearly liked him a lot. I've definitely cooled on him, no doubt about it. I think that's a, you know, I, he he definitely, and when we talked to scouts, I mean, there were not just, you know, here in the office, but there were scouts who said, I mean, hey, you know, I, I do worry about the body. The body yep. is, you know, is a little bit of a concern. And that just all goes back, in my mind, to makeup. I mean, the, the holdout. How messy that situation got. How he he kind of allowed it to get messy. I'm sorry. Ultimately, it was all comes back to the player, especially when it goes to Vanderbilt. It's supposed to be a bright guy. Goes to college. At some point, take charge of your situation. A and B. You just can't. We can't hear stories about. Well, he held out, and then he had to go to wear the sweatsuit at instructional league, and he had to do the same thing in the spring, and then he had knee problems. Well, why do you think he had knee problems? Because he was big. I'm fat, and I got knee problems too, Pedro. So that's that. that that's 
Those but, are bad but signs. But paying you $6 million to be in shape. That's correct. Uh, boy, that would be nice. I think I'd get in shape if they paid me $6 million to get in shape. And then uh, Andrew Thurman from right here in Durham, North Cackalack, asked uh, that in the recent draft podcast that Jim and I did, we mentioned that uh, Oakland and Grant Green have likely agreed to a bonus, but Major League Baseball won't approve it until closer to the August 17th deadline. Isn't that utterly ridiculous? College players can move through a system rapidly enough to give help to a big league club now or in the near future especially someone as talented as, say, Dustin Ackley, but baseball refuses to allow these players to start their pro careers. I'm confused about the logic behind MLB's actions here, as was most thing, as was most as with most things regarding the draft and bonuses. Are you all just as confused, or can you shed some light on it? Uh, I'm just as confused. There is no logic. No, it's, it's absolutely it. illogical. I mean, because you're talking about even guys like Mike Miner, you know, Mike Leak, were guys who were, who were basically thought of when they were drafted that they were they were essentially you don't want to call them signability guys but they were guys who were going to my be quick you know guys who would quickly sign get you know and hey you're going to be signing slot that area even with them what we're finding is is that no 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 MLB ordered you know ten ten percent cut right right and it's like no 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 we've agreed to this deal well yeah. I'm not going to approve that that's over slot you got to wait till you know. And the biggest approved slot so far, and here we are, uh, like you said, like three, four weeks away from uh, getting this all approved. Uh, the largest approved slot right now is fifty-one thousand. Our bonus is fifty-one thousand dollars over slot, Rex Brothers. But, but here's Tittle the laughable part of it. Yeah, it doesn't change. No player is no. Steven Strasburg's not sitting there. And his contract negotiations are going to be changed by whether Mike Miner got slot instead of last year's slot instead of this year's slot. Right. The guys who are going to be the August 17th signings are going to be the August 17th signings Correct. anyway. Correct. There are the other guys. And reducing the bonuses by 10% worked so well in 2007. Bonuses went up. Everyone waited to the last minute. And this year, it, it's just, it's really, it's pitiful. Uh, it doesn't make any, it's just so counterproductive, like you said, JJ. It just doesn't. But, and again, it's, no just, it's against the whole idea of what we're talking about. Like, okay, yeah, there's a big difference. Brett Wallace is in AAA in large part because of the outstanding yeah, starting start he last had year. last year. Yeah, you're right. You know, he allowed him to they were there could say, hey, this guy's going to start the season at AA. Compare that to Pedro Alvarez, who had to start the year in high class A because he never played pro ball. Yeah, it's a big difference. I mean, it's a big difference. and. And Brett Wallace is talking about uh, one of the reasons for increased strikeouts, he said, we talked about the Futures game during the rain delay, uh, is that you never played as many games in college. And you get a little uh, you get a little fatigued. And your bat gets a little slow. And that's what leads to a lot of these strikeouts. And he's just getting a second win right now. I think Pedro Alvarez, especially if you're not in shape, if you're not used to being that big, like Brett Wallace is used to being that big, he is big bone. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that's a big, I think that's a big part of the uh, issue. So... I just think that Pedro Alvarez, is a, that's a huge issue, and I think he'd be in a lot better shape as both as a prospect and physically if he'd been able to sign quickly. And, of course, last year his whole thing got uh, just thrown into a complete tizzy when he signed illegally, basically, after the midnight deadline, which none of this is really Scott Boris's fault. I think Major League Baseball constantly gets outflanked. And like you said, it just doesn't, doesn't help any – no players are going to get more money just because they signed for last year's bonus and it got approved in mid-July instead of mid-August. It really... Because everyone knows, every agent out there knows, Mike Miner, when it's all said and done, is going to sign for last year's slot. That's that's right. And And so it doesn't affect the agents. The agent who's sitting above or below is not going, oh, I'll take less money because I've heard that Miner's going to take this year's slot. Because everyone knows that's why he's holding out there. 
Yeah, it doesn't make a ton of doesn't make a ton of sense. I really wish that I understood what MLB's logic is, but I can't uh, I can't tell you what everyone covered today, Andrew. And I do hope that the 2011 CBA. You hear all the talk, you, you hear all the rumors. Uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. All those kind of cliches. I really do think the draft and the international signings. I think there's going to be some kind of amateur signing bonus cap or structure. Uh, put into the CBA in 2011. I think a lot of thoughts already going into that, JJ, and I think that we are going to see changes because uh, teams are wasting more than enough money on these things as it is. Well, we went a little long on the podcast, and we didn't go over the whole uh, panoply of things we thought we would, but we'll just come back next week and talk a little bit more about it. So uh, remember to send those emails into us, podcast at baseballamerica.com, and you can, of course, follow everything that we do at Twitter at baseballamerica.com, I mean, at twitter.com backslash baseballamerica. For J.J. Cooper, do you want to give your Twitter uh, feed, J.J.? And I'm J.J. Coop 36. There you go. The, at, uh, I don't have my own Twitter feed, but... I, also, Ben Badler is... Uh, and Will Lingo, I believe. I did, Lingo. T- I did tweet, though, from the AAA All-Star yes, game did. twice, and then I realized I don't want to tweet from the AAA All-Star game. So uh, that, that was going a little too far. So until the next podcast, for J.J., I'm John. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.